First John chapter 5. As we continue to make our way through, we're almost, this is the penultimate time that we're going to be in First John. And so, it's always, you get to the end of a book, and you're like, I want to preach this again, because let's, oh wow, I see these connections now that I missed the first time. But alas, we won't. But I think we will do Second John. Uh, it's short. I think we'll do that for sure. Um, we've seen tests, right, in First John, tests to the, examine the genuineness of your faith. Do you have genuine saving faith or not? And those were th- there were three tests, right? There was a, a, a moral test, obeying the commands of God. There was a doctrinal test. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? What is your relationship to Christ? And who is Christ? And, and then, third, that relational test. Not only do I have a relationship with Christ and who Christ is, but who do I have a relationship with God's people? Those are the three tests that he lays out to see. Do I have genuine saving faith or not? Well, today's text is a little bit different. He's been looking at those tests. Today he focuses in on uh, the object of our faith. Okay? The object of our faith. So, if your faith is small and weak, or your faith is strong and great, What is of utmost importance is the object of your faith. Because here's the good news. Jesus saves people with weak faith. And he saves people with great faith. What is important is the object of your faith. Luther put it this way. Luther said, your faith is like a ring that holds the precious jewel of Christ. That's all it does. He's the adornment. He is the beauty. He is what really matters. So maybe you feel today your faith is weak. Look to Christ. Maybe you feel today, you know what? I feel I'm blossoming and I'm walking closer to the Lord than I've ever been before. Great. Look to Christ. He's the object of our faith. We're not called to have faith in faith or a blind faith, but faith in Christ. So that's what he's going to set out for us, all right? Last week, and he really set this up last week, uh, two, two particular phrases. First John chapter 5, look at verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah... They're born of God. Then look at verse 5. Who is the one who overcomes the world but, the, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So see those titles? He is the Messiah. He's the Christ. And he's the Son of God. So he has laid those out for us. So set your eyes upon Jesus. So that's what he does. And now he's directing us. We're looking at that. 
So the Christian is born of God. That's who overcomes the world. The Christian is the one. He has this doctrinal confession. This is who Jesus Christ is. It's the real Jesus. Right? It's, Jesus is not someone I just have opinions about. Or I, I can imagine. I imagine Jesus to be like this. No, 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 no. That's not, John does not allow us to do that. It's the Jesus of the Scriptures. Jesus that's been revealed in the Bible. Being a Christian means trusting, truly believing certain things about Jesus. All right? And yes, I believe in Jesus, but it's the Jesus of the Bible. Who does the Scripture says he is? Uh, and so I believe, yes, in the person, but I also believe what the Bible tells me about that person. I can't separate those things. Doctrine and faith go hand in hand. You cannot separate doctrine and faith. And that sets the stage for verses 6 through 12. So if you would, look there with me. And we will read God's, God's holy word. 1 John 5, verses 6 through 12. This is he who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. These three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Sends a reading of God's word. How do we come to have faith in what the Bible says about Jesus Christ? He's been, John's been writing, he's been worried about this confident assurance. Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the Savior of sinners. How can I know that I have faith in Jesus Christ? More, sure, more, more poignantly here, who is this Christ that I'm supposed to have faith in? The Bible does not talk about blind faith. Hollywood likes to talk about blind faith all the time. The Bible doesn't talk about blind faith. It doesn't require it of us. God, in his kindness, you don't have to wonder. God, in his kindness, has given us his own testimony. He said, this is who the Son is. This is who the Savior of souls is. John sets for, forward for us God's own testimony about who Jesus Christ is. And it's a three-part testimony that we see here. 
Uh, so this confident assurance that he's driving us to, well, what's the object of our faith? Where is this assurance to be found? It's to be found in Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And now this section breaks up into two parts. Notice the threefold testimony there in verses 6 to 9, and then verses 10 to 12. Here's what our response should be to the testimony of God concerning Jesus. So threefold testimony, then what our response should be to God's testimony about Jesus. So let's look at that threefold testimony. You notice three things listed. We're going to see Jesus' baptism, Jesus' death, and the Holy Spirit. That they all three testify to the Jesus Christ, to who he is, divine human, one person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. So, start. First thing we see, verses 6 to 9. This is the one who came by water, blood, Jesus Christ. Not with water only, but with water and with blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Now, that's a complex sentence, all right? It's a, difficult, it's a difficult sentence in English. You who love grammar, go home, try to diagram that. It's, even, it's, it's tough. It's a tough sentence. But what he's saying is basically pretty simple, all right? The Holy Spirit testifies that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Son of God. The Holy Spirit testifies that that's who, who Jesus is, and he does that by pointing us to Jesus' baptism and to Jesus' death. So, consider what is revealed about Jesus Christ in his baptism and at his death. All right? Because in those two things, that's the Holy Spirit is testifying to you personally, about these two historical events, when Jesus was baptized and when Jesus died. And it declares who Jesus is. Now, when I say this is difficult, a passage difficult, people have disagreed, lots of people disagree on this passage. Luther and Calvin both said the water and the blood that are mentioned here, that's Christian baptism and the Lord's Supper. Well, you can see how baptism and the Lord's Supper would both point us to Jesus. You can see that, all right? Um, but it seems to be something in Jesus' own experience that he's, that's being dealt with, something in his own history that points to who he is, his person. Other people in history, like Augustine, um, North Africa, he would have liked that last song we sang. Because Augustine says, he points to like John 19, where we're told that, remember, the spears thrust into Jesus' side, and from Jesus' side, what happened? Water mingled with blood flowed out. So Augustine points back to this mingling of water and blood, and that that's this testimony to the person of Christ in his death, that that's what this is all pointing to. Other commentators point to his birth, 
Um, so he was carried, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. This would be the water, so the natural birth processes that he would have come through, and the cross being the blood. Some have gone there. Most, and I think this is correct interpretation, goes, you see Tertullian, you see others, uh, this is probably the most popular, that water and blood, those reference Jesus' own baptism, and the, the water's his baptism, and the blood is his death. All right? And so we'll walk through that. Why would John be setting these things out about water and blood, about the person of Jesus? Because there are false teachers in this local church, these Gnostics who've been teaching that Jesus wasn't born God, he became the Christ at his baptism. And, they would argue, God can't die, so before Jesus dies on the cross, he stops being God, and it's only Jesus of Nazareth who dies. All right? So they draw a contrast between the second person of the Trinity and Jesus of Nazareth. So if you can imagine, the second person of the Trinity takes over Jesus of Nazareth, but before Jesus of Nazareth dies, this Messiah, second person, departs. No longer there. Well, John is arguing... No, no. He was, the, he was the Messiah. He is the Son of God. You see it already at his baptism. Because what is declared at his baptism? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well placed. We see it at his death. What happens is he cries out his last. The curtain is torn from top to bottom. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. It's not just a, a, a moment of time where he is the Messiah. It's not only that a man died on a cross. It's not that the Christ Spirit descended on Jesus at the time of his baptism, but then leaves him at the crucifixion. No, no, John is saying here in verse 6, understand this, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Son of God, he doesn't become the Son of God, he's eternally the Son of God, he was the Son of God at his baptism, he is the Son of God through his baptism, all this reveals who he is, who he's declared to be, and at his death, he is the Messiah. He didn't stop being the Messiah before he died. No, he is the Messiah. And those things are absolutely necessary because he, if he is not the Messiah, if he is not the Son of God, you don't have salvation. You're not saved. These false teachers need to be refuted because they are robbing the Christian gospel of any good news at all. At all. The efficiency, uh, the, the, the work of Jesus on the cross depends on his being the eternal Son of God and fully manned. 
Both of those things in the same person. So, with all this, and all the questions about how to take water and how to take blood, this challenging phrase, John is pressing home this important truth. If Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, did not take on himself our nature in his birth, he bore our sins in his death, uh, fully God, fully man, if, it's, if he's not fully God, fully man, he can't reconcile us to God. He cannot take sinful man and stand in our place. He can't do that. This is essential to being a Christian. This is the Christian confession of faith. This is who Jesus is. This is the objective testimony of his baptism and his death. He is man, so he is baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And he sets the example as us, for us as men and women to live lives pleasing to the Lord. His death uh, agrees with, coheres with a life that is lived perfectly before God, but dies as a substitute for sinners. And it is the testimony of the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit is truth. The Spirit testifies. He takes Jesus' baptism, Jesus' death, testifies as to who Jesus is. So verses 7 and 8, there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in, in agreement. So the water, the blood, the spirit, those two historical events, the spirit, uh, uh, so all that is characterized in Jesus' public ministry, the spirit giving that inward testimony in your heart and in my heart, that subjective element, right? So we look at Jesus in the scriptures. We see how he is portrayed. We see what is revealed. And the spirit of God convicts us in our hearts that, is, that Christ is God. He is the Savior of sinners. He is the eternal Son of God. That's the work of the spirit. Now, you may have a King James Bible. Some of you do in this room. Or a new King James. And you're scratching your head going, wait a minute here. That's not what mine says. First, King James, the King James Version has a different version of 1 John 5, 7. All right? And first part of the verse 8 as well. So you're scratching your head. So what's the difference here? What's, what's going on here? So I'm just, if you're wondering that. King James Version is based upon a family of text. It was edited by a man named Erasmus. It includes a version of 1 John 5, 7 that doesn't exist in any Greek manuscripts earlier than the 12th century. It's found in some Latin manuscripts that are earlier than that. Most modern translations... They don't follow that particular, that particular text, all right? That's why that's different. Most of those modern ones are trying to follow Greek texts that are uh, more reliable, more, more accurate. 
They're older in many cases to reflect the original because we don't have any of the originals. All right? So, but what John is not pointing to here is the testimony is from God the Father and God the Word and God the Spirit about God the Son. That's not what's going on here. In fact, that would give credibility to the Gnostic dichotomy that there is a distinction between the second person of the Godhead and Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. Okay? No, John is saying this is con the consistent testimony that the Father bears witness to the Son through the Spirit of God. And that's what's being spoken about in 1 John 5, 7 to 8. So there's two uh, cooperative testimonies here. This historical element, his public ministry from, from, from uh, baptism to death. And this work of the Spirit, the subjective element that takes the, the historical truths that we have, who Jesus is and what he has done, and applies them to our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit's witness. John's point, verse 9. The testimony that the Spirit, Holy Spirit gives to us that Jesus is the divine Messiah, the Son of God, that's God's testimony about Jesus. That's God's testimony. So who does God think Jesus is? That's who it is. That's who he is. And if you're convinced by human testimony in a court of law, verse 9, how much more should you be convinced by God's testimony? What's the purpose of God's testimony? What, what is the purpose of it? The purpose is to evoke faith in Jesus, the divine Messiah. The purpose is that you would have faith in Jesus Christ, the living God. The Son of the living God. That's, we should have faith in Christ. So, we pause. Do you have faith in Christ? The Son of God, the Savior of sinners. So for every teen, teenager in the room, for every uh, 10, 9, Eight, seven, six. If you're in the sound of my voice, that's the question for you. If you have a head full of hoary hairs like mine, that's the question for you. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? The divine Messiah, the Savior of sinners. And John is pressing that truth home. He's evoking faith in Jesus Christ the Son of God, the divine Messiah, the Savior of sinners. God come in the flesh, second person of the Trinity. He came for us and for our salvation. That's absolutely essential if we're to be saved. Because if, if that's not who he is, we can't be saved. We can't be saved. Now, they were denying that in John's day. You know they still deny that today. They still deny it. Many people call themselves Christians, but they deny that particular truth. They deny that. John says if you claim to be a Christian, but you deny who the Bible actually says Jesus is, his word for you, hypocrite. All right? So... 
I say that with a smile because you hear like this pounding preacher man talk about hip. No, no, that's just what John says. If you say you love Jesus, but it's not the Jesus that's revealed in the Bible, you're a hypocrite. You really don't love God. You don't know the love of God. You're not born of God. You can't say yes to Jesus, but reject what the Bible tells you about Jesus. Jesus is not ours to invent just as we go along. You either believe Jesus who is offered to us in the Gospels, we either believe Jesus as he's given in the Scriptures, to, uh, that we see in the Scriptures, we, the Jesus of biblical and apostolic testimony, or you reject him. It's one or the other. You can't say, well, I love Jesus, and the way that I picture Jesus is like this. You can't do it. It's not, Je it's not the Jesus of the Bible anymore. You can't say, yeah, yeah, well, I don't really like the idea of Jesus driving out the money changers in the temple. That's not the kind of, I mean, is that, that's not loving. You can't define and make Jesus who you want Jesus to be. You can't make God after your own image. You can't say, I accept you, Jesus, and I'll define what you're like. can't do that. We're told who Jesus is. We're told Jesus, the object of our faith, the only Jesus who saves. We are told in Scripture, God's revelation testifies who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit working in our hearts testifies this is the Christ. This is the Savior of the world. This is the second person of the Trinity enfleshed, incarnate. If you want to be a Christian, you've got to believe the Jesus of the Bible. All right? Faith. How should we respond then? So this is God's testimony, his threefold testimony. How should I respond? Verses 10 to 12. Oh, here he's just pressing home the point. The one who believes in the Son of God, verse 10, has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his, his son. So if you reject this testimony about Jesus, you're calling God a liar. You reject the truth about who Christ is, as it's revealed in the scriptures, that, that the Spirit of God testifies, you're saying God is a liar. Now, we live in a very polite and tolerant world. Normally, when people disagree with you today, they won't say, I think you're wrong. Nowadays, people like to say things like this. Well, well that's fine for you. Uh, you think that about Jesus. I like to think, believe a little bit differently. Hear how kind that is? Yeah, 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 you can believe that. But I believe this about Jesus. And when people say that, they think they're being neutral about Christianity. They think they're being kind about it. They think about like, yeah, you silly Christian, you're, you, you're having hopes in the scriptures, and you're believing what that old book says. But I think a little bit differently. 
No, no, no. John says if you do that, you're calling God a liar. Because God has already told us what he thinks about Jesus. God has given us his testimony about Jesus, and you can't be neutral about that. You either accept it or you reject it. And actually, you're not being neutral. You're rejecting God's own testimony concerning his son. So you're saying, God, you're a liar. And that is not something you want to do when you have to stand before him on the last day. You do not want to be in that position and say, God, you're a liar. I don't believe that. So John's just pressing this home. And friends, you can't be neutral about the gospel. You can't be. You either embrace him, you either bow the knee to him, you either worship him and believe in him as he is offered in the gospel for salvation, or you reject him, and you will be judged by him on the last day. There's no neutrality. John goes on, verse 11. The testimony is this, right? This is God's testimony. That God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. So, eternal life, life in the ages, ages to come, new heavens, new earth, in Jesus Christ. It's all involved in this faith union. I believe, I'm trusting in Christ, I am united to Christ. It comes, right, it's eternal life comes when a person has been united to Christ. The, Holy, the work of the Spirit has brought us into union with the Son, and as we're in Christ, we have life. That's why you can't reject the claims of Christ and have life, because this life is in him. We have to be in him if we're to participate in this life. And we have to be trusting him. We have to be believing him. We have to believe what the scriptures say about him. Then John says, verse 12, to believe in and on the Son of God, to believe in and on Jesus the Messiah, the Son of the living God, is to do what? Possess eternal life. But without that belief, there is no life. There is none. So notice three things about eternal life. First off, Eternal life is not something you deserve. Did you know that? You do not deserve eternal life. It's a gift given. It's not a prize. It's not a prize that you earned. Kids, you get good grades in school. You get sometimes kids get money for, for, for grades that they bring home, things like that. That's not what grace is. And that is not what eternal life that's not how eternal life is doled out. Notice the words. God has given us eternal life. God doesn't look at the world and say, ah, he's worthy of eternal life. She's awfully worthy of eternal life. She's awfully worthy of eternal life. She'll do lots of good things with her time. She deserves it. No, God doesn't do that. It's out of his grace and mercy he gives eternal life. It's a gift received. It's not a prize that's earned. Second thing, notice this about eternal life. It's only found in Christ. Is that right? So in order to give it, God sends his son. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. 
So eternal life found in Christ. God gives his son so that we might experience eternal life. Does that sound familiar? Other places in John? Like John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life is where? In the Son. So today, if you're not a Christian, right? Believe. Look to Christ. How can I be saved? Look to Jesus Christ. God tells you in the Scriptures, here is who Jesus is. And this is the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Believe it. Trust in him and him alone for salvation. Third thing, notice this. It's not something, so eternal life is not just something in the future. Do you notice this? Eternal life is something we experience right here and right now. You, present day believer in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life right now. This is what he says. He who has the Son, verse 12, has what? The life. You have eternal life. That is the present possession of every believer in Jesus Christ. What is eternal life? Fellowship with the triune God and all those who are in fellowship with the triune God. So, doctrinally, who he is, and uh, relationally, again, all those who are in Christ, I have fellowship with them. I have life with them. So, there's so many sayings. I just thought, uh, I jotted it down. But you know these types of sayings. The church is the outpost of heaven, right? Or, or the, the church is the suburbs of glory. The, the church is a foretaste of what's to come. We are right now receiving a taste, a taste of what this eternal life is like as we worship God. We're in the company of his people. We know the blessings as we are delivered from sin and the love of the world and bondage of sin. Now, we're going to know it more. We're going to know it fuller. We're going to know it completely. We'll know it without end in the new heavens and new earth. But right now, already right now, we are experiencing eternal life. The joys, the blessings, all that accompany eternal life. Sins forgiven. Fellowship with God. Fellowship with his people. Assurance. Of our salvation. We, we possess that now. So John's point in this passage here. Trusting, believing in Christ. The Christ who is given to us in the scripture. That's essential for salvation. You cannot be a Christian and reject Jesus. You cannot be a Christian and reject what the Bible teaches about Jesus. Now friends, we live in a day and age where people act like well, I have this experience about Christianity, but I reject the teaching of Christianity. Well, 
you do not have eternal life. If you depend on your experience, but you do not believe the Scripture's testimony about Jesus, you must believe in him that this book testifies about. You must trust him whom this book testifies about. The, the Jesus that is set forth in the scriptures, you must believe him. You must believe what this book says about him. He's revealed to us in the word of God. You receive Christ, the Christ of the scriptures. You receive, he's the Messiah. He's the savior of sinners. And then all who receive him have life. They have life. Why? Because this life is in him. You reject Christ. You, you think you can be neutral about Jesus. You think you can be neutral about Christianity. You, know, you think, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I'm a little too young for that. Maybe when I get older, I'll make, a, I'll make some kind of serious decisions. No, no, there's no neutrality. No neutrality. Some of you say, oh, I was... I was uh, I was more committed when I was younger to Christ, but now I'm getting a little older. I'll just, uh, I'm just ease up. No, 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 there's no neutrality. You're trusting the Christ or you're not. You love the Christ revealed in the scriptures or you don't. And if you're trusting in Christ, you have eternal life. And if you're not trusting in Christ, there's no life in you. So friends, don't trust in the Jesus of your own making. Trust the Jesus of the Bible. Friends, don't be neutral about Jesus. You can't be neutral about him. You can't have life and be neutral about Jesus. Believe on Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed of God. He's the Son of God. He is very God. He is begotten, not created. He's the only Savior of the world. Trust in him. Trust in Christ. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we praise you, for you are glorious. We thank you for your testimony. We don't have to wonder um, what your thoughts are about the life of Jesus, or the work of Christ, or the death of Christ, or the person of Christ. You have declared these things in your word. And right now, your spirit even testifies to our own hearts. Lord, I pray for those who are lost in, in uh, the bondage of sin. Pray your spirit, even now, open their eyes to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That they would hear your testimony concerning the Son and believing on him. I pray for the saints in this room that their hearts would be greatly encouraged knowing that the gift of God is eternal life and that life is in the Son. And may our love for the Son grow more and more. Lord, We don't want to be neutral. We want to open your word and behold marvelous things about our Savior. Give us ears to hear, we pray. 
In Jesus' name, amen.